Well, if you have your Bibles, let's find that uh, passage in 1 Peter that we had mentioned to you. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse beginning in verse 10. I want to begin, though, with the story of John Newton, born in 1725. Uh, at 20 years of age, he ran away from home in England, worked on a slave ship. And rebelled against the captain and was finally put off the boat and sold as a slave himself. Serving as a slave for several years, he talks about how he became just lived like an animal. Finally, he was rescued by a man from a ship going back to England and on the way back to England, the ship hit a storm, a terrible um, uh, storm that almost sunk the ship. He was thrown overboard. And in that moment, he said, I realized when I looked my, as my life flashed before my eyes that I was a, such a sinner and had lived such a depraved lifestyle. And he said, I cried out to God for his mercy and grace. And suddenly he felt a pull on his back and, and one of the sailors had pushed a harpoon down and harpooned him and dragged him back onto the ship he lived to tell about it, began to read the Bible, and even served as a pastor for many years there in England. And of course, he wrote that famous song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Well, this topic of grace, I think we lose sometimes the amazement of grace. And I want you to see here that this is what Peter is talking about in verse 10 concerning this salvation, this passage we read earlier. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. In other words, the Old Testament prophets, their subject was the grace that was coming. It was to be ours. In, uh, in verse 13, he says, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. It's not only grace that was coming to us, but grace still to come. John 1.17, we know that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we're looking at the subject of grace and how amazing it is. 
And Peter points out three things here I want to show you in verses starting in verse 10 of 1 Peter 1. First, he says the prophets could only predict this grace. Look at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully. Verse 11, what person or what time that the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating? When the Holy Spirit would lead them to write things like Isaiah 53 and the uh, suffering of the Messiah, what the, the prophets would say, what is he talking about here? Who is he talking about? When is this to take place? Or Psalm 110, the, God said to the Lord, sit at my right hand till all your enemies are under your feet. Who is that Lord that was going to sit at his right hand? When is that going to happen? This is what he's talking about here. The prophets would inquire, what time is this? When is this? And here's what they discovered. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Huh. The Old Testament is not so much about Israel as it is about the church. The prophets predicted things not so much about Israel and the Jews as it did the believers, both Jew and Gentile, in the New Testament and in the day in which we live. And he says, they prophesied, verse 10, about the grace brought to you. This is an age of grace. And I am so thankful that it is. You know, we not only live in one of the best countries, the best country in the world, but we live in the greatest age in which we could live, the age of grace. And we should be the happiest people on earth this morning. The prophets couldn't understand it. They couldn't fully partake of it. But we can today. So Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. So the prophets could only predict it. But second, notice in verse 12 that the preachers can only announce it. Look at uh, verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news or the gospel by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. They announced it. This word announced, the good news is the Greek word for good news or gospel is euangelion. It's a, it's a technical word. And in those days, they would have cities with walls around them. And each wall had a watchtower. And when their armies went to fight, a runner would come. Whether they had won or lost, he wouldn't come until the battle was over. And he would come running and they would, on those watchtowers, they would say, here comes the runner. And he would announce, bring a euangelion 
The good news of the victory was won. So the preacher can announce Jesus has won the victory. The battle with death is over. Victory over sin is now through the grace of God. Your sins can now be forgiven. What do we do with our sin? What do we do with our guilt, our past? And I would say you don't do anything with it. Um, <clears throat> Hebrews ten sixteen says this, I will put my law in their hearts and their minds. I will write them and their sins and iniquities. I will remember no more. Hallelujah. He ha God has the capacity to have divine amnesia. So the past can be once for all put behind us. And he remembers them no more. There was a pastor I heard about. He had a, a lady in his church named Mary. And she, she, had, uh, she would have visitations from Jesus. And some of the ladies were concerned about her stability. And so they went to the pastor and they said, Pastor, you need to talk to Mary. She's got these uh, visitations and these uh, revelations. And so you need to, to check with her and make sure she's okay. So the pastor went to Mary and he said, Mary, I understand you're, you've been talking to God and he's been talking to you. And she said, yes, I have. And the pastor said, because he was skeptical, he said, well, the next time Jesus comes to you, when I was a young man, I committed this horrible, terrible sin. And he said, uh, ask him what sin I committed. Because he was, of course, skeptical that Jesus was coming to her. And by the way, I will never say that to you. <laughs> you just keep guessing. But... She said, all right, the next time Jesus comes to me, I will ask him, what is that terrible sin the pastor did when he was a young man? He said, all right. And sure enough, two or three weeks later, the word got around, Mary's had another visit from Jesus. So the pastor, the ladies sent him, go talk to her. So he said, Mary, you know, we, we talked about this. So Jesus came to you and he said, did you ask him, what is that terrible sin that the pastor did when he was a young man? And Mary said, yes, I did, pastor. And the pastor got nervous. <laughs> and he said, uh, well, what did he say? Jesus said to tell you he doesn't remember Amen? You get that? Jesus said to tell you he doesn't remember. Because I know sometimes we hang our head, we look at our past in shame, and we, and we wonder what, when we stand before God, when we go to pray, 
What about that awful thing? He doesn't remember. I will remember your sins no more. So where the remission of this, you don't need to make offerings for sin. You need to quit trying to get right with God. Jesus has died on the cross and that the Son of God and the value, the infinite worth of the Son of God can't purchase your forgiveness. Nothing will. The preachers can only announce it. Here's the third thing. The prophets could only predict it. The preachers cannot bestow it or wave a magic wand over you. They can only announce it. But third, look at the last phrase of verse 12. The angels can only study it. Verse 12, that last phrase. These are things into which angels long to look. 1 Peter 1.12 Angels long to look paracupto to study. They long to paracupto. 1 Peter 1.12 in the Living Bible says it's so strange and wonderful to angels. They would give so much to know more about this. I like the way the Living Bible puts that. Angels would give anything. The word paracupto, translated here by the English word look, is used in the Gospel of John chapter 20 when John and Peter run to the tomb and the stone has been rolled away. And it says John comes up to the tomb and he stops and he leans down and he looks in has the idea of leaning over and analyzing. He's looking to see, to study this. Now, Peter, he comes up behind him, and in, in his impetuosity, he just runs right in, but not John. And so a couple of verses later, it says, and John believed. But here the word means to analyze this thing to draw some kind of perspective from it. See, here's the reason Peter included this phrase, angels long to look at this. The reason is because angels have, owned, they have known the God of justice. There's nothing wrong with justice. We need justice. But angels are amazed at grace. When the world was full of men, evil and violent men, and the world destroyed, and God destroyed it with a flood, saving only Noah, one family, angels were like, Yeah, it ought to be. And when, when God brought Israel out of Egyptian bondage, and Pharaoh was stubborn and wouldn't let them go, and chased them into the Red Sea, and God brought the waters back and destroyed the whole Egyptian army, the angels looked on and said, Amen. It ought to be. But when God sent his son to shed his blood, angels looked at that and said, That's weird. That's amazing. 
You see, and here's the thing you, you ought to know about an angel. About a third, according to Revelation 12, about a third of the angels followed Satan in their rebellion against God and were excluded from heaven. There is no invitation in the Bible that says, but angels, you may come for forgiveness. There's no such invitation to angels. They don't know mercy and grace and forgiveness. And when angels sinned, they got what they deserved. But here is humanity. Not only did not get what we deserved, God spared us at the price of his dear son, whom the angels worshiped. They can't get over that. So it says the angels looked into it. God made this he codified this. He symbolized this in the Old Testament when he made the mercy seat. Do you remember the mercy seat in the Old Testament? That's where in Exodus 25, the high priest would go once a year and he would take the blood of a, of a lamb and sprinkle it on the mercy seat seven times showing perfect forgiveness. Um, give, me a, give me that picture of the mercy seat up here. Show us the mercy. Yeah. You'll notice, here's what Exodus 25, 17 says. Make a mercy seat of pure gold and you shall make two cherubim of gold. Hammered work. See the angels on each end. And the cherubim, Exodus 25, 20, will spread out their wings above it, overshadowing it. And the last phrase, Exodus 25, 20, and the faces of the cherubim shall be toward what? The mercy seat. Their faces are downward toward the mercy seat. The sprinkled blood. As if to study it. Century after century. Staring, fascinated by this. See, we don't want to get used to this, folks. This is amazing grace. Angels desire to look into it, to analyze it. The angels were not to look at each other. Don't get caught up in each other. They were not even to look to God. They were to look at that sprinkled mercy seat day after day, year after year. Angels are amazed at this grace. Now I have one, one more point here. Look at verse 13. Therefore, now there's another therefore. Preparing your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Hope fully on the grace. Be totally trust in that grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, when he comes back, you know what you need on judgment day? Grace. <laughs> Amen. You need grace on that day, my friend. He's, it'll be hope fully on the grace brought to you at the revelation of Christ. And be obedient children, not conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. 
But as he who called you is holy, so you be holy. Now here's the point I want to make here. Is that all of our ethics flow out of grace. First we're forgiven, cleansed. We fail. Then we're forgiven, cleansed with greater grace. And then even greater grace. And that goes on and on. And our desire to please God comes from grace upon grace upon grace. That's why John 1 means when he says, we have all received grace upon grace. One of the pastors who meant a lot to me uh, when I first began to preach was W.A. Criswell, First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. He He's uh, dead now, but what a, what a great man of God. He was flying back from a Baptist convention and he describes, he says, I heard at this big convention center, the preacher get up and he says, it was the most moving, most motivating sermon that I think I had ever heard in my life. For power, and poise and dignity and eloquence. He said, I never heard anything like it. And he inquired, who is this preacher? And he was the pastor of a very large church east of the Mississippi. And he, he was thinking about this sermon and this pastor as he flew back to Dallas. And a businessman was sitting next to him and they took up conversation and the businessman said, oh, so you're a Baptist preacher. He said, well, I want to ask you about a man. He said, you might know him. He said, I, when I was in high school, there was a young lady there and she got pregnant. And this was back in the 30s. There was no social net and there was no support group and there was no abortion factories and there was nothing. And she said, this young man, he said, this young lady moved to the edge of town and lived in a little rented cottage all her life. But she raised that little boy by herself. She brought him up, taught him about Jesus, sent him to Sunday school. He graduated from high school. And she worked day and night to put him through college. He graduated from college and decided... God was calling him to pastor and he went to the seminary. And all this life long, she would pray for him and support him and help him. And uh, he said, I heard that he graduated and pastored a church. He was a Baptist. And he said, have you ever heard of him? And he gave him his name. And it was the name of the young man that he had just heard preach that Baptist convention sermon. The mightiest sermon he said I ever heard. And I thought, when I read that, I thought, you know, we're standing here, we're sitting here in a nation that's in turmoil. People are shooting. Young people have, are, are going into, they're baptized into violence and inundated with sinfulness and perversion. And in our own lives, we struggle. 
What is the great solution? Everybody, all of them do talk. What's the solution? What do we do now? This is the solution. The grace of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Evil men will not stop being evil until the grace of God comes into their life and they embrace the risen Christ. That's the solution. And church, we're on the right path. We're going the right direction. We've got the right message. Let's love these sinners and tell them we announce to them the victory's won through Jesus Christ. No matter what your situation, like that poor young little lady, God can transform her life by grace. And for all of the rest of us who are here this morning, hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. Amen. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, Newton said. Grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Amen. Let's pray. Ushers, you come and let's worship with our giving and we'll have a closing song together. Heavenly Father, our hearts leap within us for the grace of God that is in the gospel. May you be praised today. May you be thanked. We, get, we, we do thank you for the, for the weekend and, and, and what it means and those who have died for us. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus who died for us. Thank you for amazing grace in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.